that was a fast week. Carol, let's just admit we're doing two episodes back to back. That's a good idea. So when we get to it, I'm going to have to predict what happened in my garden in the first week of May or end of anyway. And then if there's any exciting, anything exciting between the two of us, we'll just have to put it in the newsletter. Sounds good. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, and I garden on about an acre and a half. I garden an acre and a half out of 7.5 acres out in the boondocks. We call ourselves Gardenangelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly, but that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. I'm super excited. Tell me about your garden update. This one might be shorter than the last <laughs> well, week. Well, in the last hour since I last talked about it, I don't think there's too much to report. If there is, I'm going to put it in the newsletter, but it's expected to be cool going into the first week of May, which is, this will come out on May the 3rd. Uh, so I will have mowed, I will have weeded, I will have just kind of like getting ready for things to get going. How about you, Dee? When will you plant your tomatoes? I am not even thinking about tomatoes. A lot of people say, yeah. oh, Mother's Day weekend. I'm like, ah. Uh, I usually plant them on uh, what we like to call race weekend, which was around Memorial Day. Mm, when we're also cutting things back for the chop. Okay, so let's see. I'm going to say that hopefully we got the rest of the split rail fence put up along the street and that I finished planting all of the replacement trees and shrubs. I'll let you know. And I can say that I bought two roses this morning and they are both. Um, they're both English roses, which fits into our theme this week. One is Eustachia, Eustachia Vi. I don't know who Eustachia is. And Gabriel Oak. And I'm going to put them in pots. And I'm going to get rid of my Republic of Texas orange tree because it's sad and I don't want it anymore. But I don't know what I'm doing with the other rose because I couldn't just buy one. So Gabriel Oak is a rose, not an oak? Yeah, it's a rose. Gabriel Oak. Okay. Rose. Okay. Well, I didn't name it. They named it David Austin Roses. And I also went and looked up Grace Rose Farm to see what all the hubbub was about her roses that she's selling, you know, because one of my clients told me that she broke the internet with her sales. All I could see was that they looked like English roses, which is nice. And they were 50 bucks a piece. Where, who was this that's selling roses that broke? Grace Rose Farm. Remember that she's the lady that has the beautiful bouquets. Well, now she sells roses. So she's a flower farmer and she's figured out a way to make flower farming profitable. So go her and break the internet in the process. Let's do a quote and then we can talk about our theme for this week. A garden is a grand teacher. It teaches patience and careful watchfulness. It teaches industry and thrift. Above all, it teaches entire trust. Gertrude Jekyll, British horticulturalist. Who has a rose named after her, and it's a pretty good rose. It's bright pink. Indeed, this, so, this episode isn't all about roses. I just wanted to say that. What is it? Talk, about? We do talk we do. about them. Yeah, we do. Of course we do. All right. So the episode is all about the British monarchy because it's coming time for the crowning of the king. 
the coordination. Yes. And it was so, your idea and I love it because I love Great Britain. Well, it's not really just a monarchy. It's a British themed episode. Right. Right. So, but it's, but we're doing it because of his coronation, right? That is correct. We, all things British this week. So the first topic was flowers that Dee has seen in Great Britain that she now has to have in her garden. And I'll talk about maybe some I saw in Gardener's World. And uh, so let's start off. Number one thing you see in the British gardens that you have to have in your garden and do have in your garden. Roses, of course. But I think it's funny because they're going to think that I'm like the one who came up with this topic. I did not. It was Carol's idea. So roses, 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 roses. I love roses. I love English roses. I like simple roses too. I like heritage roses. So I like all roses. So what else you want to say about that? Um, I want to say that I don't have many roses, but I want a good yellow climber because we <laughs> talked about roses last week and I mentioned this and I said, I was going to email Teresa Byington. Um, yep. she has sent me several possible yellow climbers. You said, well, tell me what one. they are. I said, there aren't very many. What did so she, she send you? She sent me sky's the limit, which she That's says. A new one. Is, she's not grown it, but she said it's a good grower. Um, then she grew one called Golden Gate, and she said this one's an heirloom rose, uh, a strong growing beauty, but she outgrew her space, and re- so she had to get rid of her. And then there's a new small, short, golden yellow climber from Proven Winners that she tested last year. So far, so good, but it's small. It's called Rise Up Amberness. Hmm. Huh. Those, those are very helpful. Yeah, she would know. She knows more about roses than I do. And she keeps up on all things roses because she's one of the two people who does Rose Chat. Yes, and we'll put a link to Rose Chat and thank Teresa for these suggestions. I think the greenhouse is growing some of these uh, small, short yellow or climbers because my my sister yeah. bought one. Um, I'm going to see if they've got that yellow short one. And then I'm going to check out um, probably Sky's the Limit. But if she had to get rid of Golden Gate, I, I don't need a thug. You don't need one that gets big. Don't call it a thug. That's not fair. Roses aren't thugs. Oh. They might be ramblers. Pardon moi. So that's number one. Number two, mm. we talked about last week. Last air week. Air quotes last week. The delphiniums. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to say anything more about delphiniums, but um, other than that we can't grow them. Okay, moving on. Sweet peas. Sweet peas. So sweet peas are fairly complicated to grow here in Oklahoma. And people, I I go to a lot of effort to grow sweet peas and I've grown them in a bunch of different ways. This year's way is I planted the seeds really early in my potager, which is my raised kitchen garden. And they are now, and then I pinched them out just like Matt Mattis says to do and also Monty Dawn. And so they're branching nicely and they're about this tall. They have not grown much, but I think they'll do a lot better. When you say this tall, nobody, nobody listening can see that. Oh, well, how tall is that? Four inches? Okay. Four inches. And I'm growing sweet peas, direct sow them mm-hmm. in the ground. I usually wait about a, uh, do it a week after my regular peas. Mine are just coming up and I will pinch them and everything. And usually I can get flowers into early July and then they're like, okay, it's too hot, Carol. Goodbye. Mine leave in June, but they're worth it because they smell so good. 
Now, the other way I've grown them, if people want to try it, is I've used, I've done them in what's called root trainers, which are those very, very deep pots because they really don't like their roots disturbed when you transplant them. And that gives them a chance to grow a really good root system. I've grown them that way too. I have also grown them uh, so that they just flower in the greenhouse over winter. And that also works. So I've done it a variety of ways because I really like the fragrance. You know, there are just some things you will bust your tail feathers to do. And sweet peas is one of them. Although I'll tell you, when you see Monty Don on Gardener's World and you see the size of his sweet peas, you're like, holy, why am I trying? But they exactly huge, huge flowers. Yeah. I mean, they can, because their summers aren't as hot as ours and they have a lot of daylight. We don't have as much daylight as they do, which is okay because it's hot here. So we don't want any more daylight than what we have. The next one is clematis. And I've grown clematis uh, since I started gardening because what goes with clematis? Well, you put it in our show notes and you said roses go well with clematis. Or clematis go well with roses. Kind of like, do you have coffee with your cream or cream with your coffee? Um, The reason clematis love roses is because it helps shade their roots and then they clamber up through them. The other thing that I grow clematis on is um, small trees and crepe myrtles. But you have to put chicken wire around the bottom of your uh, plant, the taller plant, so that they have some, you know, purchase. Because... In the case of crepe myrtles and some trees, they um, they don't have the you know it's not rough enough and they can't clamber up. Right. It, so the chicken wire helps. And I actually use green coated chicken yeah, wire. Yeah, they'll just scamper across the ground until they find something to start climbing up. Yeah, and then another tip about clematis that I learned a long, long time ago. Gosh, from that show. There was a great show about gardening that was the United States. And she, this lady was in Ohio and she was a famous clematis lady. And it was that if you cut them off, you know, in the spring, you know, when you're supposed to trim them back to the first bud and all that stuff, if you cut them at different levels, then they bloom at different levels. Well, that's interesting. It's a very good tip. All right, next. Well, I just want to say that I didn't think that I liked clematis back in my early days because the one that everybody had was Jackman Eye, which is just a big... Big purple flower. and I like Jackman Eye, but go ahead. Uh-huh. Now I found all the like the bell-shaped ones and stuff, and I love them. Love the Texansis and the Montanas and all that I stuff. I love them. And I actually have a bush one, I, and you have a bush one, I too. I have several bush ones out there. Yeah, because that's different than the vining type, and um, they do great, too. I, I can't say enough nice things. As long as you keep their roots pretty shady and let them reach up for the sun— or plant them on the east side of the house here, they do really well. And then the next one I would say is your most recent British obsession, uh, British flower obsession. Or you've not really, I've grown them since I was a teenager. I know, but pelargoniums, you're just le- but I am pretty obsessed. You're yeah. buying more and more of them, D. No, that get them sent to me for free, Carol. Ooh, I haven't bought any this I year. I want some for free. <laughs> not just kidding. <laughs> you get violets. Um, I, yeah, I got several sent to me by doom and orange, which, uh, they sent me two new ones that are interspecific, which means they go between species and they're supposed to be much more heat resistant. And they're in the Santana line. No, you can't buy them yet. They're, they're not out yet. Although I think there are some Santana ones out there, but I think you'll have to order them. Sometimes we can't find stuff in the stores 
because maybe your area didn't buy them. So there's Santana dark red and white splash. White splash is so pretty. It's white and has a pink center. I think sometimes the reason we can't find these things is because Uh nobody knows about them and they don't know to buy them. And you and I become obsessed. Like I would add to the list, you know, wild violets and Johnny jump ups. I think of England for these as well, especially Mm -hmm. the Johnny jump ups. People just don't know about them. And so like the, all the different pelargoniums, you know, people, so many, there's like two or three that people are like, I want these and I want those. And they don't know about all this other stuff. The ones with the red, big red blooms. Okay. Well, those are pretty, but branch out. Okay. Carol, I lied. I did buy two this year. I forgot. <laughs> I knew I that. I at the greenhouse in Norman. I thought I hadn't bought any, but I did. And they're the fancy leaf ones that have the real pretty colored leaves. Uh-huh. One's got a red bloom. One's got a pink and white bloom. And then I have my scented ones, which I've had for years, but that's what I started in were scented ones. And then long, long time ago, when I first moved out here with Bill, um, I was in Guthrie and there was this cool store Yeah, and she had asparagus fern planted with hot pink pelargoniums. And I had to go have some. So I ran to Stout Greenhouse, which was the greenhouse in Guthrie. And they of course had them. And I planted them too, and it looked really great. And I was so proud of myself. I'll say this about pelargoniums, which are just tropical geraniums. That's what they are. Um, feed them, feed them, feed them. They like yeah. food. And I food. I would be tempted to buy many, many more. But I, I feel like they need to be overwintered because they're too expensive to just do. be one and done. And I don't have a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And I did mm-hmm. successfully overwinter one two winters ago in my sunroom. And then I did throw some in the garage, like I said, and I, they're starting to leaf out like two of three of them. And I'm like, I just, I'd have to clear out the sunroom and make room for these babies. But anyway. Well, see, I would have already done it, but, but I'm weird. Half my greenhouse is full of pelargoniums. And then in the spring, when they start to grow again, I chop off all the, you know, I trim them back like they tell you to do and all that. Well, then you have all those cuttings. So then I start cuttings and then I give them to friends. So I've been giving away pelargoniums right and left and they don't know what I'm giving them. Like I hand them to them and they look a little askance because it, you know, they don't look so great when you first bring them out and I'm like, feed it and water it and love it. And it'll be your favorite thing. There you go. Do that next quote. God Almighty first planted a garden, and indeed, it is the purest of human pleasures. Francis Bacon, English philosopher. From way back in the day. Yeah, let's talk about vegetables. So what is the quintessential British vegetable? Well, there's so many. Well, I put peas on the list because peas would grow really well in Great Britain. And then I always think about mushy peas, which sounds disgusting. It isn't. It's really good. You know what it is? It's just fresh peas that they lightly steam and they mash them like mashed potatoes, but not creamy mashed potatoes, just mash, mash, mash. And they put butter in them. That sounds delicious. I, it is good. It's very good. And I think they're easier to eat. You know, they don't roll off your fork. That would be, Bill loves them. I think I would, I think I might try to fix some of my peas that way. Courgettes. You really think courgettes are a quintessential British vegetable? Well, I don't know, but I think it's interesting that they call what we call zucchini squash, they call it courgettes. And I'm reminded mm-hmm. of a um it's French. A Perot episode where he threw 
No, wait. That was Maro, Maros. They call them Maros. What do they call courgettes? No. Okay. So a courgette is a small zucchini and then a big zucchini is a marrow. So he threw a marrow over. Baseball. Yeah. A baseball set by a set. He got mad because it grew so big or something and threw it over the. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Courgette means small squash. Oh, you know what? A marrow is actually a gourd that is eaten as a vegetable. So it looks like a zucchini, but it is a, it is a gourd according to this. We we have totally botched this. We just don't know. We just don't know our British <laughs> vegetables very well. So well, you got a good one on here. Rocket. Monty Don grows a ton of rocket and acts like it's so delicious. I've never grown it in my life. Well, it's bitter. <laughs> I don't know if I think it's very good. I mean, it's very bitter. And Every spring, I, he's shoving those things into that loose oh, ground. I mean, so excited, you know, about the rocket, isn't Can it? I, and spinach. Spinach. And yeah, they grow a lot of spinach. I put, they grow a lot of coal crops too. A lot of cabbages, um, all that stuff. And potatoes. Remember, they grow early, mid, and late potatoes, which I didn't realize. Yeah, we talked about yeah. that. A lot of cold things because their weather is usually cold. And what when last year when we went to Great Britain, um, everybody was freaking out because it was so hot there. And they didn't need their glass houses to ripen their tomatoes or their peppers. They said we could have just grown them outside. They were really disgusted. And I was like, yeah. that's how we grow them in the United States is outside. You guys are unique in that you grow them <laughs> under glass. But they were yes. they were crowding out there. You know, they're used to growing them and they are kind of polite because they're not very happy. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And so they had great big, huge tomatoes and stuff. And they were like, we have to water them all the time. I was like, yeah, yes. that's normal. But, you know, so they do a lot of um, tomatoes and peppers. And you wrote on Clarkson's farm, he's growing hot peppers. Yes, he is. Woo. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I, I will say this. Yeah. When I watch Gardener's World and all these, it seems like they're when they're digging in the soil, mm-hmm. the soil's always moist. Always. Does the soil ever dry out? Yeah, it was it wasn't where it wasn't where we were yet last year, but normally yes. That remember they right. don't normally have right. to water throughout summer. So last year they were trying to figure out how to water. It was kind of it was sad. I thought their gardens were very sad. So um one interesting thing about the hot peppers is I don't know how it is in Indiana right now, but every every nursery I go to, every small store, every box store, Westlake Hardware, et cetera, ghost peppers, raging Cajun peppers, North Carolina Reaper peppers. It's the hot pepper is a big deal this year. And I'm gonna say this. If you don't know what you're doing with those, no you're gonna hurt yourself. You're gonna hurt yourself. They're hot. Don't eat that stuff. Don't you're going to hurt yourself or, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, you are if you're not careful. So the other hot pepper that um, I mean, because these are minor compared. Oh, wait a minute. I'm saying that backwards. Habaneros are minor compared to some of these peppers. So I was really kind of shocked to see all of these extremely Scoville hot peppers at everywhere right now. The other thing I've noticed is there are a lot of non-hot jalapenos out there like the tam jalapeno yeah 
and fooled you is another one. I I was like, it's another hot pepper that's not hot. So there's a lot of um, interest in very hot and not hot right now, but still a jalapeno or whatever. Back to the Brits. Well, the Brits are getting in on the craze of hot peppers too. So I put mushrooms on the list. And you did that because of Beatrix Potter. Well, she had a great interest in mushrooms and actually tried to write like a scientific paper about them when she was younger and was huh. drawing a lot of different mushrooms and things. And when uh-huh. you think about the, you know, the forests and the woods of England and all the mushrooms, and I'm sure they gathered wild mushrooms to eat. And Yeah. Again, you need to know what you're doing. You definitely As that do. one guy said on, um, on Oklahoma Gardening. All mush- all mushrooms are edible at least once. <laughs> that is funny, but not funny. It's not funny. That's right. So make sure you know what you're getting. Shall we do another quote? Yeah, because I think we we don't know tons about British vegetables except that they like to grow them too. Uh, I mean they they grow rhubarb. They're big on rhubarb, forcing rhubarb and asparagus. And I, uh-huh. And anything that likes cooler weather. And I was watching and guess what came up on Gardner's, not Gardner's world, but on my rabbit hole. Oh, I'll wait. I'll tell it in a minute. Okay. Go ahead. There is something delicious about writing the first words of a story. You never quite know where they'll take you. And that was Beatrix Potter, obviously a famous mm-hmm. British illustrator and author. And I want to go to the Lake District. I have not been to the Lake District, and I really want to go. Well, so, if you read, we picked British gardening books, and I I cheated and picked a book about Beatrix Potter, Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life by Martin McDowell, who is an American, obviously. Great book. And great book. if you read about the life of Beatrix Potter, and then the second part is um, her garden through the year, winter, spring, summer, autumn, and then how to visit her garden, you'll find out that you want to go. Her literary legacy is huge, obviously, the tales of Peter Cottontail. But probably her biggest impact on the world was she basically bought up the Lake District. She saved and it. turned it over to the National Trust so that it could not be come, you know, like a series of vacation homes and cottages and things like that. Commercialized. She preserved the lake country. Yeah, she bought it all, let the farmers stay on it, which I loved. She took the proceeds because she became really famous and wealthy after a struggle. She became famous and wealthy. And then she married, was it her second husband? Her second, well, no, she only got married once. Her first- One time, right, her right. First her first love fiance died. died of influenza. That's it, yeah. No, leukemia. He died of leukemia, the first one. Yeah, it was very sad. Um, she marries- the other man later. It was in her life. solicitor, her attorney, who helped her buy the house across the street, basically, the property across mm-hmm. the street. And they had a very good marriage, lasted a long time. Yep. And in that process, she just went around buying up all those farms because she knew the farmers couldn't make it on what they were being paid. And also the fact that they didn't have enough people, employees, and stuff. So single-handedly almost, she saved the Lake District, but let them stay on their own farms. Her thing was, I just don't want it to turn into a commercial deal. And so it's still there, and I would love to see it. And later in life, she did become quite the avid gardener. And at the time when uh, you know her parents were askance at the idea, she would be out there in the garden working 
um, muddy, muddy. And uh, Marta writes about, you know, if it rains, she could get a big rhubarb leaf and plop it on her head to keep the rain off. And I'm like, that's that's pretty pretty crazy. But she she was into big, the gardening. She was. Okay, well, the book I chose was The Bold and Brilliant Garden by Sarah Raven. And you can it's out of print, but you can still find used copies. And I've worn mine out. I mean, I looked at it so much that the backing is destroyed. I need to go and have it bound, you know. It's a paperback, but it could be put in one of those spiral bindings, and then I could lay it open flat because I've just about ruined it. Um, the reason is she's a florist. She lives at Sissinghurst because she's married to the nephew. Oh, she's got it right in front of her. You I have the hardback. Hard I've barely read I it. I have the paper book. You've never read it? I've barely. I mean, I've looked through it a few times, but it's I don't, oh, so I'm, beautiful. Do you want it, Dee? It's the, it's the hardback. <laughs> the, um, so she's a florist, and that was her um, area by trade. And so she grows everything for color. And it's got a forward by, before you offer that book, it's got a forward by Christopher Lloyd. Not the actor, the famous gardener at Great Dixter. And um, anyway, Sarah, Sarah lives at Sissinghurst part of the time. And she has a, she has redone parts of the garden there. And then they have an amazing gardener who's actually restoring it. And that was on Gardener's World, I think, last year about him restoring it. I've been there and it's extraordinary. That's Vida Sackville West's nephew. So Vida, it's Vida's garden, which is famous for the white garden, but it's famous for a lot of things. Anyway, love, love, love this book. It's one of my very favorites. So, and I pull it out and just look at I'm it. I'm going to keep this. I think I thought so after you looked at it. Well, and mm-hmm. I just need to, I just need to leave it out and look at it some more. So, yeah, because it's beautiful and her use of bright color. That's why Christopher Lloyd wrote the introduction because he was the first one to bring back bright color to British gardens because bright colors were considered garish. And our friend Leonie would still argue that bright colors are sometimes garish, but in our sunlight, at least where I live, bright colors are important because other stuff just gets faded. All right. Anything else? That is it. So that is what's on the bookshelf. Do a quote and take us into dirt. There is no gardening without humility. Let me repeat that. There is no gardening without humility. Nature is constantly sending even its oldest scholars to the bottom of the class for some egregious blunder. Alfred Austin, English poet. Humility is important. I have a lot of humility. Longer I garden, the more humble I get. Exactly. So our dirt is the botanical symbolism in the invitation to the coronation. And this is a, a fun, beautiful, read. beautiful document, this Wish invitation. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's beautiful. I That's, mm-hmm. you know, all hand drawn and it's just full of flowers and wildlife. And, you know, it has the green man. He's famous. He's a, a decorative. Yeah. yeah. I have a quasi green man carved onto a wood block in my sunroom. And I'm going to have to pull it out and look at it. It's mm-hmm. similar design, but my dad was a dentist and someone gave it to him who couldn't pay oh, their bill. That's wild. And so it's a beautiful carving. And I, I should have you gotten should. it down and looked at it. Maybe it'll show up on the, no, it won't show mm-hmm. up on the episode. 
Then there's the wildflower meadow. And of course, you know, they, they have several flowers, including uh, Johnny Jump Ups, but also Lily of the Valley, which mm-hmm. was the queen's favorite. The thistle for Scotland, Ireland's clover, daffodils for Wales, and the Tudor rose, which is the national flower of England. And the reason it's the national flower of England is it's the combination of the houses of York and Lancaster, their floral emblems. They both had roses as their floral emblems. And so when the Tudors came to power as a result of a wedding between, um, oh gosh, I can't remember which, anyway, it was a York and a Lancaster, okay? And so they put one rose on top of the other rose because Henry was their child, not Henry VIII, the other Henry, Henry VII, I think. And if I had looked all that up, I could tell you, because actually there's a really good show about all of that. The White Queen and the Red Queen and all that stuff. I mean, it's all from um, that one lady's books. Maybe I'll look it up before we write the... Well, and if you go back down through this, I mean, this article, which we're going to link to from Town and Country Magazine, which is very British... Uh, they talked about things like flowers and groupings of three standing for Charles the third. Um, acorns are on there. They just put a ton of thought into this invitation, in my opinion. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. They did well. And he's, he's a naturalist. Right. I got to see his garden last year. It was amazing. And I, yeah, I mean, he's always been a gardener and he's a hands-on gardener. I mean, he has gardeners, but he really does get out there and garden and had some really great influences and that shows in the invitation. So the thing I was wondering about is what did the invitation to Queen Elizabeth II, what did it look like? Did you look it up? No, I didn't because I didn't. So that's, you know, maybe we'll look that up later. So the White Queen and the Red Queen are based on books from by Phil, Philippa Gregory or Philippa Gregory. And I've read almost all of her books. Um, they're great fun in the summer to read. Fair Get enough. a little history with them. Uh, the shows are quite um, raunchy. Okay, keep going. We're ready for the next quote. Gardening is learning, learning, learning. That's the fun of them. You're always learning. Helen Mirren, British actress, learning. And quite the gardener. Uh, yeah. Didn't she do a yeah, she loves documentary on trees or was that Judy Dench that did the trees? I, I think it was Judy Dench, but Helen also is quite the gardener. So that's pretty cool. So tell me your rabbit hole. My rabbit hole is not that very interesting. Basically going down the rabbit hole to put together an episode about British gardening and I was thinking about mm-hmm. world, Gardener's World, and that's kind of a rabbit hole. And if you go down through the history of it, um, we'll leave a link. It started, I think, in 1968. It's been around for... Mm-hmm. We're on the 57th season, I think. Yeah. And considering how long it's been along, they... It is the longest gardening show of all gardening shows. And we we have nothing comparable in the United States. <laughs> no. Nothing. I was thinking about the old Victory Garden episodes from um, that were yeah out of Boston. They were great, but dang, I never could figure out how they would work with my garden because I, I mean I watched them as a teenager and a little older, and it took me years to figure out. Well, he's in Boston. Well, the interesting you know thing, I mean? so it's yeah, different. They would go down to Jim Wilson in Georgia, and he would give a little thing on the South, and then they go across to Peter Seabrook. 
over in England and he would give a little English bit. Mm -hmm. And so Peter Seabrick did in, he was on many of the earlier episodes of Gardner's world. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I mean, we've got our local PBS show, Oklahoma gardening, which is great. Um, and it's get, it gets better and better, I think. So what I like about I think what I like about Gardener's World is Monty Don is in his own garden, and um, all even then when they have the guest host on there, they're all in their own gardens, and that that makes Francis was on it. Yeah, Francis has a brand new garden. Uh, that was so fun to watch her in her new garden, and she's head gardener at a manor now. Yeah. Right down the street from her little house. She was able to buy a house. See, we feel like we know these people, just like you guys know us. And she has, she still has her wonderful allotment, which she was explaining how she has her allotment set up. And I thought it was interesting that she said she had triangular shaped beds so that there were fewer paths and more gardening space. Huh. I have triangular shaped beds. That's not why, though. But I think that there should be a... There should be an American show and it should take place in people's real gardens. And I'm not talking about celebrity gardens. <laughs> exactly. Where they, you know, the camera stops and then the big crew comes in and finishes everything up. Now I- I'm talking about the garden and Monty might have some help, but he's getting older. I wouldn't. He does have some help. Mm-hmm. Adam's doing his own work. Francis is doing her stuff. So that's what I like. Carol. And I, I what? Carol, Carol Klein. She's Carol Klein, yes. Stuff. Not you, Carol. Sorry. Okay. But anyway, that was my rabbit hole, just kind of exploring the early beginnings of Gardner's World and thinking there ought to be in a way to have an American version of some kind. I wish. Shall I go down my rabbit hole real quick? Please. My rabbit hole was Great British Gardens with Carol Klein. I got up at 4.30 this morning, as I said, and so I decided to watch these while I waited for the rest of the world to get up, i.e. Carol and uh, Carol <laughs> Carol Michael. <laughs> I watched the one about Gravetime Manor, and I learned more about William Robinson, who owned Gravetime Manor, and he was an Irish gardener and horticulturist, and he is the one who came up with managing drifts of blooming flowers and removed extreme Victorian formality of bedding plants everywhere. And then he has an amazing oval-shaped walled kitchen garden. It's one of the biggest kitchen gardens in England. And they said they use every bit of the space because you can actually stay at Gravetime Manor, and they feed you out of the garden. And no, I've not been there. And they grow, you guessed it, sea kale, the real sea kale. And they cover it completely to keep out the light and they flood the bed it's in so that it grows. And it's very tender and apparently delicious if you cover it up. So they had they had forcing jars and they were using it for the sea kale. And they did a little section on it because in that show, she follows a particular great British garden set all four seasons. Interesting. Which is really cool. Yeah. Well, it's you really said cool. that. Oval walled garden because it's shaped like an ellipse, it stays warmer longer. It stays warmer, and the way it's set up, he explained that the cold slides off of it and goes down the hill. And it's not on much of a hill because I saw it on drum footage. Very interesting. I was like, well, that's not much of a hill, but it's interesting. And I don't know why the oval shape works, but he insisted, the head gardener did, that that was part of the reason it stayed warmer. I thought, well, it could be also that it has a wall around it. 
Interesting. That helps too. So let's talk about our garden commissions. We're looking into the future. So this will be the first week of May. What what about you and your garden, Dee? Well, I hope I have everything planted that needs to go on those two beds down there. And that's two hydrangeas, a butterfly bush, a Japanese maple. And then I've got to go find a red bud because I've decided the other Japanese maple is being replaced with a red bud. Very nice. Even though I really like my April moon Japanese maple. So really I'm up in the air on that one. And then my hookahs. So if I get all that planted this week, it'll be a miracle. And for me, um, I anticipate a change in the weather that it will start to actually warm up. It looks like the 70s will be creeping in that week in the daytime, but those at night are still in the low 50s, which is why I wait. Mm -hmm. So I'll be taking seedlings in and out every day and I'll be mowing, visiting the greenhouse. And on the weekend, I'm going down to the Johnson County Garden Fest, which takes place always the first Saturday of May. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to leave this teaser for you. I think I'm going to see somebody that you and I both know. We shall see. Who? That's a teaser. Okay, it's a teaser. Wow, that's interesting. Hmm. So we want to thank you for listening to the Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can make a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Golden Gate this week. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.